yes, what a beautiful hymn that is. And hey Ben, it is good to see you there. Hey, let me just tell you, church, yeah. Ben and his beautiful wife are over, um, just on holidays and catching up with family and friends. And I said to Ben this morning, I said, is, is this like a premonition of what's going to happen? And uh, he said to me, he said, only God knows. And I said, well, I have a front door in, um, entry into him, so I'm going to be praying that God would lead you guys back. Yeah. But have a great time. It's good to see you, Ben. And whatever God does with them, they're very involved in their church over in Europe and uh, we just wish them God's blessing. Hey friends, we're in a series, as you know, called Reason to Believe. And this little booklet which we produce is a growth group guide and it follows along with all of the messages that will be preached in this series. And I was encouraged this week to hear, Joanna told me that 250 little booklets have been taken by you to, to use as a study guide and, and I find that really encouraging. So we've had to um, do another print of these but they are a great tool for us to grow deeper in the truth of what God wants to tell us through his word, through the relationship that we can have with, with him. So if you've got your little booklets, turn to the third message in this series. Reason to Believe, and we're going to be looking at another of Jesus' miracles. John chapter 5, I'm going to read this to us now, it'll be on the screen as well. I'm reading from the NIV today, and we read that some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even telling, sorry, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I've always been fascinated with this particular miracle of Jesus. And it might be because I've been a full hip amputee for, for 48 years. And here's this invalid, this person who can't walk and, and Jesus heals him. So when I read this in my own time, I'm being honest with you, I, I sometimes say to, my, to myself, I wonder what God is saying to me. What does he want me to learn? Lord, what do you want me to learn from this account of you healing this invalid? What do, I, what do you want me to learn? And that makes me then remember being told many years ago about the different learning styles that there are. When I was at college, I was introduced to the concept of different learning styles and there is a popular graphic which I'm showing up on the screen um, that shows different learning styles in a pictorial way. The first there up on the left is visual. Some of us just learn through seeing. That's my preferred learning style. Others through verbal, through hearing. Others logical. People like to just add up all the numbers. Others through hearing, others through social interaction, others through intrapersonal, they just like to do study on their own. Others through physical experimentation, others through naturalistic ways. We all have different ways of learning and in a church this size, so many of us have different ways of learning what, what God wants to teach us. This came home to me the other day with Carla and I, how different we are. Because we've, we've started recently getting involved in vegetable growing. Now, people are thinking, who have known me for years, you growing vegetables, John? And I'm saying, yeah. We even bought a worm farm. A worm farm. We've got a thousand of these little critters. And we've got this worm farm and it's got this house thing that they live in and you, you give it scraps, but then to make sure that we're looking after it properly, you know, Carla says to me, well, how do we care for these worms properly? I said, I don't, I'm not sure. So she goes to books and reputable um, Google sites to read all of this stuff on her own and I go to YouTube. Because that's how I learn, she learns and we learn different. But come back to this miracle. What does Jesus want us to learn? Whatever your favoured learning style is, the goal of learning is to learn something. The goal is to understand something, to know something. To give us reason to believe that something is true. It's the reason why John wrote this gospel account of Jesus' life and in his account he tells us of these miracles that Jesus performed so that we could learn. 
Listen to what he says in chapter 20, verse 31. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why we're in this sermon series, to learn from these miracles that Jesus performed. And today, we're focusing on this invalid that Jesus heals at the Bethesda pool. Now the word Bethesda means house of mercy. And this miracle, when it happened, and as it's been told over all of the generations, has led many, many people to have reason to believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. Now, one of our deepest human desires, irrespective of how we learn, one of our universal human desires is to be free from pain and sickness. I read this quote during the week. Joe says, We live in a time when healing practices, drug companies and medical research have never been more able to address so many aches and pains. Broken bodies and broken souls are business opportunities for some and noble professions and services for others. So, for all of the time of humanity, we have wanted to find healing for our infirmities, for our illnesses. And the setting for this third miracle that Jesus performed occurs at a place where those who are in pain and suffering come together looking for healing. Look at the text on the screen, verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time, eh? But my first observation about what you read on the screen is there's no verse 4. Have a look. What's happened to verse 4? Well, in early manuscripts, verse 4 was an entry put in the margin to explain why these, these infirm people were at the pool at Bethesda. This pool was reputed to have healing properties. And the pool was fed by an underground stream which would periodically bubble up. And the belief in that, in that day was that whoever was the first one into the water, when the water bubbled up, they would be healed. So Jesus arrives at this pool, this place where sick people come together to look for healing. And he meets this man who has been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's a strange question. Do you want to get well? This person's been an invalid for 38 years. Do you want to get well? Or are you happy to be like that? Of course he wants to get well. Of course he wants to get well. Listen to what he says. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then listen, listen. Then Jesus said to him, 
get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now before we go further into this account, I want us to think more deeply about just a couple of questions some of us have. Why why did Jesus ask this man if he wanted to get well? And why didn't Jesus heal all of the other blind people and the lame people and the paralysed people? Why just this man? I don't know why Jesus didn't heal more people. Now, in the Bible, there are many other references of Jesus healing many people. But at this time, we're told that there was just this one man that Jesus healed. So why not, at this time, heal more than just the man who had been an invalid for all of those years? Now, whenever I wrestle with this question, and I do wrestle with this question, I'm reminded of something else that Jesus once said. Have a look at the screen. In Luke 19.10, we read Jesus saying, I came to seek and save the lost. Now, what Jesus said here helps me deal with my confusion about why things don't go the way that I think they should go. And as we have seen in our preceding sermons in this series, focusing on his first two miracles so far, that is, the water being changed into wine and the, and the healing of the official son last weekend, we've seen that Jesus' miracles pointed people to deep spiritual truths. So even though we might have some of these questions that we don't have answers for, we've got to try and just park them and come over to the reality that Jesus' questions and what happens points people to very deep spiritual truths. So what are we to learn? Realising that Jesus' questions oftentimes help people see their very real need, not just their felt need. Because so often in our plastic world that we're living in, we just want our felt needs met. But there's something that's more important. Friends, every one of us, including the healthy and the strong and the fittest of the all, by nature, we are all spiritually blind, lame and paralysed. So when Jesus said to the invalid, get up, pick up your mat and walk, and he did, Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. I want you to look at the screen and and let me read this, this quote from Isaiah 35. This is the Old Testament prophesying about a Messiah who is coming. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongues shout for joy. And in Ezekiel 34, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Now remember this setting where this miracle that Jesus is performing here is happening in. The healing is happening in Jerusalem. The people are Jews. 
familiar with all of the Old Testament prophecies and the promises. And Jesus had come there, the text tells us, to attend one of the Jewish festivals into Jerusalem. That's why he came there. So I think it's logical to presume that many of those who are at the pool, who witnessed Jesus healing their comrade, their friend, the interaction that Jesus had with the the invalid, they were beginning to join the dots. This third sign, this miracle that John records, it points us to a deep spiritual truth about Jesus and about us, humanity. And in the time left, I want to highlight just three truths. The gift of pain. Now, I know that sounds crazy, the gift of pain. But you will see that pain is not always our enemy. Secondly, the true healer. And then thirdly, the promise of God. You know, friends, unless someone is a psychopath, the last thing anyone ever wants to see anyone going through is suffering and hurting. If you or I walked into a setting like this pool at Bethesda in Jerusalem, we would be so moved by seeing all of these lame, crippled, blind people together. We would want to do whatever we could to help them. When I was reflecting on this during the week, I was reminded of what Adam brought to our attention in his message last Sunday when he quoted C.S. Lewis, where Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, pain shouts at us. Both others' pain but especially, very loudly, our own pain. And pain is not always a bad thing. When missionary doctors Paul and Margaret Brand went to India, they spent many years treating lepers. Now, leprosy is a terrible skin disease. It's an infection and it eats away skin, mucous membrane. And it causes terrible deformity. And in Bible times, and right up actually, up into the the high 1900s, in places like India and some parts of Africa and other places, leprosy was a death sentence. Well, doctors Brand discovered that the disease of leprosy wasn't what caused death. It was the infections that the patients received whenever they did something like put their hand into a fire to retrieve a pot and it burnt their hand because they didn't feel the pain. Or they trod on a nail. You see, leprosy kills the nerve endings. So the warnings to the brain of ouch, or danger, or pain, or something is wrong, that message doesn't get sent. Dr. Brand once said if he could give his leprosy patients anything, it would be the gift of pain so that they would know when their body was in trouble. You see, friends, pain motivates us to do something. And what we do with our pain defines us. 
It can be a guide that tells us that something is wrong and motivate us to go and seek help. Pain can motivate us to move to God, making us more compassionate to others and more spiritually sensitive. Or, or we can be so absorbed in our pain that it controls us and we miss the shout of God to come to him. So Jesus comes to this place that's full of needy, suffering people. They all go there because it is the only place that they know where there's a possibility of healing. Which is the same reason that many people will come to church to see if God will help. Maybe, maybe I will find help and hope for my problems. Maybe God will work a miracle in my life. You know, to the invalid man, Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Jesus sees his need, his real need. Please understand, Jesus' question isn't a trick question. It is a probing question. Jesus sees his true desperate state. Jesus' question seeks to hear the man's heart, to know if the man really wants to change. Because sometimes we come to God for help but we're not really wanting to change. Sometimes we, we, can, we can become so familiar with our pain that the idea of anything different can scare us or paralyse us. So we stay stuck. I see this sometimes. People, people will come and they'll say that they want help. Yet, despite wise godly counsel and being taught skills to change a behaviour or a thinking despite being explained the truth of God's word and his will for them, they choose to not change. They choose to stay stuck. Do you want to get well? It's the probing question for all of us. This man, he says he wants to be well. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And then Jesus gives him an impossible command. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9 says that once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Imagine you were that invalid man. You've been an invalid for 38 years. And the whole time, your focus, understandably, has been on yourself. On your challenges. On your feeling helpless. And now, you're standing and you're walking. You've picked up your mat. Your focus now shifts from self to Jesus, the healer. 
The one who merely said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You know, when, when this was revealed, when this miracle was done, Jesus' purpose was shouted. His power was broadcast. Jesus, he, he reveals to all who were there that witnessed this, that he is the true healer. He is the promised saviour of the world. The one who has been foretold in the Old Testament. But you know there's going to be a huge problem for what Jesus has just done. Because you see Jesus did this on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was their Sunday. It was their day of worship. It was their day of rest. What rabbi, what Bible teacher in his right mind would break the religious law by working and healing a man, a crippled man, on the Sabbath? This is a huge no-no. The Jews, the religious leaders, had invented 39 laws about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. So John He now takes us straight to the religious leader's indignation. Look what he writes. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. You know, there's no acknowledgement that a miracle had happened. No realisation that Jesus could be the promised Messiah. No rejoicing with the man that's been a cripple for 38 years. Only indignation, only religious legalism. And the healed man, now he's in trouble for carrying his mat. You know, I I ask God, what, what do you want us to learn from this? Well, this record, friends, of what happened here with the religious leaders, it reveals further deep spiritual truths that are common to all people, including you and me. And it's sin. And Jesus reveals this when he meets up with the the healed man a little later, because John tells us about that too in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And what Jesus did here and then him going telling the Jewish leaders only ignited more trouble for Jesus. Because the fact that Jesus now addresses sin points to a greater truth and a greater power about him. And this infuriates the religious leaders. You see, only God has the authority to heal and to forgive sin. The miracle of healing the invalid merely by saying, get up, walk, gave everyone present reason to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And now, in declaring that he is the forgiver of sin, Jesus is clarifying his credentials. He is the promised Messiah. Salvation has come to the world. And the religious leader's reaction is, we've got to get rid of this person. Verse 18, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, 
but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now don't you find this amazing about the religious leaders? Because Jesus isn't who, he isn't how they want him to be. And because of that they reject him. And friends, this shows the depths of their sin and our sinful hearts, of our spiritual blindness. Jesus didn't fit their mould. Their perceptions of what God should be like blinded them from the truth that was being revealed about humanity's sinful condition. And you know, rather than spend time castigating these religious leaders, I want us to look in the mirror. I want us to look in the mirror and see what we sometimes do with God. This is what God wants us to learn from this. I know many of us want God to be a certain way. And when he isn't, we reject him. Shouldn't he do a little better at eliminating pain and suffering in the world? Shouldn't he solve all of the conflicts in the world? Why doesn't he make our lives more comfortable and easy? Especially mine, I've been a faithful follower of God so long. See how it goes? Friends, I'm guilty of wanting God to be a certain way. We all are. That's why Jesus' question to the invalid man is so deep. Do you want to get well? Do you? Do I? When sin entered the world, we all became infected with deception, with spiritual blindness. But God, our Creator, who has existed for all of time together with His Son and the Holy Spirit, set in motion a plan of salvation, of, of, of healing. And it's why Jesus came from heaven to bring this into reality. And He asks all of us, friends, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? If so... Listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Friends, Jesus invites each of us again today to bring our hurts and our confusions to him because he gives us new life. He forgives our sins. He says to us all, get up, pick up your mat and walk and go and tell others who it is that brings true healing and new life. We're coming up to Easter. This series is going to take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to be reminded that Jesus rose from the dead and everything he's promised, everything that's been foretold will come to fruition. Friends, do you want to get well? Pick up your mat and walk. 
and invite your friends to come and hear more about this amazing grace of God. I end with the question, do you want to get well? If you do, then come into prayer with me as we declare our love for God and our choice to say, yes, Father, we want to be well. We want you by your Spirit to reveal to us your truth more clearly so that we can live in this new life that you have secured through your Son, Jesus. God, thank you for this reminder of this miracle that you performed all of those years ago where you healed someone. And Father, we've, we've probably read this many times, not fully understanding the implication, the, the meaning of what you want us to understand by this. So thank you for today. Thank you for this series. And we pray, God, that as we continue to think through this wonderful reality that you heal us, that we will be able to go into the new week with energy and the conviction to invite our friends, Father, so that they too may hear the truth about your goodness, your grace, your love, your forgiveness. So to you goes all the glory, God. As we worship you now further in song, accept our praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, next Sunday, Adam will be preaching the next in our series and we'll be looking at the feeding of the masses. See you next Sunday. Let's stand together and close.